Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Where does love come from? We are continuing our series called A Simple Christmas. With so much upheaval this year, we want to take this emotionally complicated season and strip it down to something simple. Today, we're going to talk about love, where it comes from, what it does, and why, no matter where you find yourself today, Jesus loves you. Let's get started. Here's Pastor Nicole. Well, it was five months into World War I in the year 1914. And the world had seen some of the deadliest days for humankind. But on December 24th, 1914, something really out of the ordinary happened. English soldiers saw German soldiers starting to set up Christmas trees. They were looking across the the line of war and they saw ribbons, candles set on their trenches. And the German soldiers started singing Christmas carols. The languages were different. They, They weren't sure what the words were, but somehow joy to the world extended through all language barriers. And so in response, the British started singing their own Christmas carols. And soon the two groups were shouting Christmas greetings to each other across the battle lines. Only hours before they were trying to kill each other, but now all you could hear was singing. One soldier put up a sign, we won't shoot if you won't. They found a piece of land that they deemed no man's land. They said this is an English or German property. And they met there, and the soldiers began to give each other chocolates and hams and little token gifts that their families had mailed to them. And on Christmas Day, one English soldier had brought a soccer ball with him, and there was actually a soccer match on no man's land between the two camps of soldiers. Nobody planned this. This wasn't a a politician or a prime minister that negotiated this. It wasn't for a photo shoot, and it certainly wasn't fake news. But love came down on Christmas. And then on December 26th, the sun came up, and they started killing each other again. (laughs) The war lasted four more years and killed nine million young men, in some ways a loss in which Europe and the world has never recovered. But there is a cross that still stands in Belgium that marks the very spot of this Christmas truce. So why would something like that happen? How is that even possible? It's because love came down at Christmas and love changes us, even if it's just for a few days. Love changes us. Love caused soldiers at war to cease. And that's because love is the most powerful thing that exists. Last week, we started this series, and we talked about hope. And this week, we're going to talk about love. So where does love come from? The Word of God tells us in 1 John 4, 7 through 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is 
love. Now, often when we think about love, our first thoughts are about emotions or feelings or, or romance, and that is love, but that's only one level or surface of love. There's more to it. It's deeper. It's richer. Biblical love, Christmas love, is the deepest kind of love, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. And in the Bible, there are two passages that express biblical love, and they both happen to be in chapter 3 and verse 16. So I'm calling it the 316s today, okay? That's what we're going to talk about. Two passages in the scripture that talk about love that are both in chapter 3 and verse 16. So this is the first one. You might find it familiar. John 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now the next one is from 1 John 3, 16 through 18. It says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So there are some specific things we can pull out of these two passages today, actually four specific things that we're going to talk about this morning. Okay, are you ready? So the first is this, love sees. All right, just say that out loud, either by yourself or someone near you, love sees. Love sees. Okay, so I have a friend from college um, who is the best gift giver of all time. She uh, listens for little clues about things that you love. So she'll just make a note. If you just make an offhanded comment like, oh, I wish I had a purple scarf to match this shirt, she'll write it down. And I remember that year for Christmas, I got a purple scarf. <laughs> she would pay attention to what you ordered at a restaurant or maybe what you didn't order, peach tea or lemonade. And she would make little notes all year long. And these nuances that she would pick up on, she would use to get the most personalized, loving gift every single time. It was incredible. I always look forward to that Christmas gift, even now, because she's so thoughtful. Real love sees needs. It looks for them. It looks for the needs of someone else and sees how they can meet that need. And this kind of love has a real awareness of another. Real love is attentive to the true needs of others. I love um, this quote from Max Lucado. This is what he said. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness. So God sent a savior. At Christmas, we're reminded that God sent the best he had for our most pressing need, and he met that need, and he had you and he had me in mind when he commissioned his only son to take on human flesh and come to earth. God knew our greatest need was to solve our sin problem. Now, uh, we have been reminded in recent months on no uncertain terms that there's a sin problem in the world. Can you amen on that one, at least this morning? But that sin problem is not just out there in the world around us. It's inside of us. The sin problem is inside of each of us as humans. And, and maybe you might say to me this morning, Pastor, come on, I'm a good person. Like compared to all these other things I see all around me, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not as bad as other people. But let me ask you some questions this morning. Have you ever gossiped? <laughs> some of you are so brave. Yes. <laughs> Does anybody here ever worry? 
Do you feel judgmental sometimes? Do you ever bend the truth a little bit just to get out of what you knew will be wrong, even though your gut says you shouldn't, and you bend the truth just to get out of trouble? Have you ever had one impure thought? Have you ever lost your patience? Do you ever get stubborn or passive-aggressive or closed-minded? It didn't take me very long to come up with that list. You know why? Because I get it. These are things that I deal with too. And as human beings for our entire lifetime, we will engage in activities that become barriers between us and God. And these barriers create a separation and a chasm that ultimately is too wide for us to cross on our own. But there is great news. Christmas is God's annual reminder to everyone that look, the world is not as it should be. We are not as we should be, but God is redeeming. And God is restoring it. And he began this when he sent Jesus to a manger in Bethlehem. And then he completed it when Jesus died on a cross and rose again in three days. The work on the cross gives us hope for our sin problem. And so when we see Jesus coming to earth and we celebrate the fact that he's in the manger, that is God's start to helping us with our greatest need. Because God sees Love sees our true need and responds to it. And that's what we should do for others. And that's what Jesus did for us. Okay, let's go on to the next thing we find in this passage about love. Love gives. Love gives. Now help me out with this verse this morning. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives. In fact, real love doesn't get Real love gives, and that is why we give presents at Christmas. In some small way, we are imitating and we're representing God. That's what at least I tell my husband when the budget's blown on Christmas. I'm really just trying to show the kids the love of God here. <laughs> I have a lot of presents that are going to be under that tree this, this year. God's love is so pure in this sense because he doesn't love us based on what he gets out of the deal. And boy, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. Because frankly, even on our best days, we don't have much to give to a God who's all-powerful and all-knowing and has everything that he needs. But his love isn't based on us. His love is based on himself. First John 3 reminds us that he loves because he is love. And as proof of his love, he gave his son. And this is how we know that Jesus Christ laid down his love for us. And this started in the manger. Now, some of you are here this morning, and you might be questioning the love of God. Maybe you really messed up this week, or maybe you got news that really rocked your world. Maybe that last um, announcement from the governor on Thursday was just the tipping point for you or your family or your business. Maybe you had a hard conversation with one of your children, and you're wondering, if you can't even be a good parent, maybe just this virus and political climate just has you upside down. Well, let me remind you that God loves you. Not some future version of you. Not, not uh, the you that you will become someday. But God loves you. And not because you're so great, but because he is because he is so great and his love never changes. Because God loves you and gives you that love so freely, we have a mandate on our lives as Christ followers to love other people. 
I love um, in this passage, it says it uses the word ought, like we ought to lay down our lives for our, our brothers or our sisters. That's not necessarily a word we use often right now when we're talking amongst each other, but here's what ought means. It means a natural expectation, a logical consequence, a moral obligation. You see, the point of the incarnation is imitation. God said, look, I'm going to show you how much I love you by coming down to earth as as a human form. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to give myself to you so that you can imitate me and love each other. That was the point. John Piper is this great preacher and pastor. He says it this way. When the word says we ought to love each other, he means ought. The way a fish ought to swim in water and birds ought to fly in the air. The way peaches ought to be sweet and lemons ought to be sour. It's who we are. It's who we are. As children of God, we love others. Love is God's seed in us. Love is God's spirit in us, God's nature in us. If we don't have love inside of us, the scripture says, then we cannot possibly love God because love from God goes inside of us and then helps us love each other. And this scripture demonstrates that. Remember, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Love gives. Love gives. All right, here's the third thing. Love costs. Love costs. Um, How many of you have ever been to an auction? You've been to an auction of some sort. Okay, so if you've ever been to an auction, you know that the value of something is what someone is willing to pay for it. The value of something is what someone is willing to pay for it. So an appraiser can do his work. He can say, this is how much this is valued at. Maybe you've had your house appraised before or something that you own. But ultimately, the buyer determines the value. The buyer determines the value. Okay, so listen to this. God has determined your value. The appraiser, the ultimate appraiser, God, has determined your value in the scope of his love. And he was willing to pay it all to be in relationship with you. The cost of his love was himself. It wasn't money, it wasn't time, it wasn't inconvenience or even just suffering. He gave himself. And love cost God his son and cost Jesus his life. I think sometimes uh, when we think about the crucifixion, we, we, it makes it look like, or we think that maybe like Jesus is a victim. And maybe you've had sympathy before for, for what happened to Jesus on the cross and that terrible, um, that terrible way that he was beaten and abused and all these things. But he, here's the truth. Jesus is not a victim of another power or agenda. He was not helplessly suffering on that cross. He could have stopped that at any minute. He was still the all-powerful God. He was not helplessly suffering on that cross. If he is a victim at all, he is the victim of his own all-consuming divine love for you. Because that's what kept him there. That was what kept Jesus on the cross. His life was not taken from him. Jesus' life was not taken from him. It was given to us. It was a choice and a gift that Jesus freely gave, fully knowing the cost. And Jesus looked at your life and at my life, and Jesus said, he or she is worth my whole life right now. That's the cost and the value of that, and that's why Jesus died on the cross. So how does that translate to us? What do we do? How do we love people so it costs us something? 
Uh, maybe in your mind, like in mine, when I was thinking about this concept, I thought, well, uh, kind of this romantic idea of I would jump in front of a moving truck. I would push my loved one out of the way, and I would jump in front of a truck for them, or I would take a bullet uh, if, if I had to, you know, for, for my people that I love. And these are incredible examples of costly love, and I believe many of you in this room um, would do that for the people that you love. But I think maybe the more applicable question is this. If love costs, if real love costs, will we give up what we want to do on Saturday and do what someone else needs us to do? Will we stop demanding our rights and seek to meet someone else's needs? It's, it's the little choices every day and we have to start there because love costs. Love costs. In the New Testament, there was a woman named Mary of Bethany. And um, the, the scripture talks about how Jesus had recently disclosed that he would suffer and die. And, and um, the disciples uh, heard this and their immediate response instead of worshiping him was that they were going to argue theology. <laughs> And so they're arguing the theological implications, and Mary uh, is looking at them thinking, okay, you knuckleheads, I'm going to go do what I, what I think I should do. And he go, she goes home, and she finds her most expensive possession. The scripture says it was a vial of ridiculously costly oil. And she brings it back to Jesus, and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. And in Matthew 26, the scripture reads that the disciples criticize her. They say, you know, we could have fed a lot of, a lot of hungry people with that. Uh, what, what are you thinking? Like, what are you doing? And Jesus silences them and says, listen, what Mary did today will be a memorial. Wherever the gospel is preached, what she did was right. In fact, it was the only appropriate response to what is about to happen on the cross. It's the only appropriate response. Mary gave everything she had, the, the most costly thing she had, which was foreshadowing what Jesus was about to do for us on the cross. And the death of Jesus is the measure of which love is defined and understood. And once we understand the love of God, Mary of Bethany understood the love of God. And the only thing she could think of to do is say, well, everything I have, I'll just go give it to Jesus. Everything I am. And the only appropriate response for us, once we understand God's love, is to give it all back. God, every resource I have, every thought, every feeling, every moment, my whole life, God, it's all yours, it's all yours, it's all yours. And the disciples are going, you know, that's not very strategic. And Mary is saying, I'm not going for strategy. I'm going for the fact that this, this man is about to go to the cross for me so that I can be with him forever. And I, I understand that now, this revelation of God's love. And so everything about my life, I will now pour out at his feet. Love costs something. All right, so here's the last thing we're going to learn about this passage. Love forgives. Love forgives. So I was reading this um, story this week on Instagram um, of a woman named Cheryl who explains that one morning uh, she was making tea in her kitchen and she answered a knock on the door and it was the FBI. Doesn't happen every day, Hopefully. And uh, the FBI came in. They said, where's your husband? And she pointed at the man on the couch. And she listened and overheard as they questioned him and said, well, what's your real name? What's your real name? And, and asked him questions about his life and eventually put him in handcuffs and took him away. And she was so confused because she had never known him to be, have any run-ins with the law. And then the, the um, article shifts and it talks about from the man's perspective 
And he explains that from birth, his name was Walter Miller. He grew up in North Carolina. He got into trouble at a young age. And he uh, was in a detention center, and he escaped. He figured out a way to escape the detention center. And so as an adult, the pattern of his life continued, and he fell into the wrong crowd, and he was robbing these large banks, and it landed him in a maximum security prison. And it said in 1977, Walter Miller successfully escaped from that prison, and he had $100 in his pocket, and he renamed himself He said, if I'm going to have a new life, then my name's going to be Bobby Love. And he renamed himself. He he said he ran out of places to stay, stay, so he started sleeping on subways and on trains. And somehow through through these kind of incredible circumstances, he managed to get a new ID, a driver's license, and all with his new alias. And he gets a job at a cafeteria in the Baptist Medical Center. And he meets Cheryl, who's a nurse. And they fall in love, and the, script, the, the um, story goes on that they had four kids. He became a deacon at his church. It said that he would go every single Sunday, and the pastor would say, put all your past behind you, just move forward. And he would think, yikes. <laughs> I, don't, I can't even tell anybody about my past. And, and he said he set from that time on to put his, uh, his, his sight before him, and he would follow God, and he would raise his family, and he would do the best he could. And his new life was so good, he never wanted to go back, so he never said anything at all. And the day that Cheryl found out about his past was in 2015 when the FBI came to the door. They were married for 40 years. And Bobby spent uh, some time in prison. Cheryl reflects that she was writing letters to everybody she could to try to explain what a good man he had been for the last 40 years. She wrote a a letter to President Obama, and she wrote a letter to every every law official that she could just to try to get him uh, to get parole early. And the day after he was set free, Cheryl writes this She said, when I first visited him in prison, he broke down crying. His head was in his hands, and he told me, I know you're going to leave me. And I told him, no, Bobby Love, I married you for better or for worse. And right now, this is the worst. And she continues, I did forgive him. And when I made that decision, I had to accept all the territory that came with it. I can't make him feel that debt every day of his life because that's not the marriage I want to be in. I told him one thing. I said, Bobby, I'll take you back because I got my own story to tell. I can write a book now too. I might not have escaped from prison and started a whole new life and hid it from my family for 40 years, but I forgave the man who did. There is no weakness in forgiveness. Love forgives, love forgives, and the king of kings leads with forgiveness. The scripture tells us not just to forgive seven times, but how many times? 77 times. And you know what? That's actually just a figure of speech. Because the idea is that love has no limit. Love has no limit on forgiveness. Love forgives. So love sees, love gives, love costs, and love forgives. Now, I don't want to leave you this morning with the charge to go out and love better, although that would be really great. You should do that. But what I want to leave you with this morning is this challenge to live under the love of God, to live under the love of God, to consider again this Christmas the expanse of God's love and not just God's love for the world or for humanity, but God's love for you and that you would ask God for a new and a fresh revelation of God's love this Christmas. So would you stand with me? We're gonna end this service by singing that that song, Oh, come let us adore him. 
He is Christ the Lord. our voices for that chorus one last time. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ alone. Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for exemplifying love so that we can know how to love each other. God, 
thank you that love sees and love gives, God. Thank you that love costs something. Lord, thank you for giving it all for us on the cross. God, we pray this Christmas season that we could be different, that we could love better, that we could love you better, that we could feel the revelation of your love, and that we could love each other better. God, thank you for who you are. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. See you guys next Sunday. Have a great, safe week. Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eeriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.